Yeah, it's like all, all the all the epidemiologists okay. from two years ago are now banking experts you know, on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and we've came full circle. <laughs> <laughs> and also, frankly, like you know, the stakes are lower, or are lower rather, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. You know, bad doctor, like you could die. Uh, bad lawyer, like you might lose some money, I guess. Depending on what you're defending, yeah, depending on, you know, unless you're a criminal defense attorney, yeah, yeah. then it gets a little dicier. But that's honestly, I think it took me until I would even say like after college, because like growing up, right, like especially in the U.S., doctors, lawyers, there's another profession that like those are the top tier of like people that we look at with like esteemed like prestige, right? Yeah, like, like the if professional you're, classes. Yes, yeah. if you are a doctor, if you're a lawyer, you are well off, you're smart, getting out of college and like trying to find like my own doctor. I'm like, holy shit, there are bad doctors. There are bad lawyers. Yeah, and there's and probably, how you, and you don't know enough. You have no idea. Yeah. Like, like you don't know enough about medical things. to be like, It's taken me so long to realize that. Like I never thought about it until like I, I've had crappy doctors and I'm just like, how did you get here? Have you had bad doctors? Oh, Dude, I have one right I now. I like you're not doing the research. There's so many websites out there that now have readings. You can. I agree. I didn't start using that until like six or seven months ago, which is fine. The problem with that is it's fucking impossible to get an appointment with Wait, a good doctor. Wait, how many doctors have you had? You I got fucking, I got like stomach issues. So trying to get into oh, like a right. gastro, oh, yeah, which has that. been any specialist in the last three years has been a bitch because they're all backed up. They're backed up. Yeah. No pun intended to gastroenterologists. <laughs> <laughs> that was the pun intended. But the whole point being like I've put in requests for like some of the good like doctors that I've like I've asked for recommendations of like people that I know and they're like either A, we're not accepting someone right now. Like we literally are I'm not taking new patients Just or it's nine like to five, we already have appointments. Yeah, like it's done. Or they're like usually older and they're like semi retired ish. But then the other one that I've gotten is like when I was first going through like what I had, there was a few times where I would be like, I need to see you in the next like five days. And they're like, we don't have anything for eight months. And I'm like, that's just not going to work. Like, I don't know what to do. But anyways, long story short, like there's a lot of bad doctors and probably even more bad lawyers. There's definitely more. I hope there are more bad lawyers. Yeah, true. I mean, that's that's not great, but it's a better state of affairs. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. What's the other profession that I'm thinking of? Police officers. <laughs> yeah, that one's definitely Back shifted. Past <laughs> couple years. I guess I'm more so thinking like from the mental standpoint, because police officers are definitely like looked looked at. Professors. Professors is a good one. Academia, yeah. That's another one that I think people have really shifted their mindset on though too. I think there's a lot of haters of academia. I go back and well, same with cops. I mean, I think attitudes towards police yeah, over time. for sure. Yes. No longer the friendly neighborhood beat cop. No, definitely not. It's uh, that's we talk about policing in America. <laughs> yeah, we talk about police brutality. <laughs> All right. Well, we kind of rambled for a minute, but let's go ahead and jump in. Um, welcome back to Bedside Coney's. By the way, we're a little ahead on recording, so like for the last episode, Dylan was on maybe a week before we dropped it. So just an FYI, if people are a little confused. A um, couple of th- quick things, as always. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Follow and rate us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, keep helping us push it. Always appreciate it. Um, again, Max and I are going to do an episode with Unanswerables. We've gotten a few. I think I've, I've pulled a few in, which we can do that whenever. Um, 
And then for today, we welcome on pending business mogul and my future lawyer, Price Cream Figarelli Reed. What's up, my guy? Also, real name Price. People are gonna hear that and be like, Price Cream. Yeah, I just <laughs> exclusively call you Price Cream. Like I don't very rarely just call you Price. <laughs> Yeah, long-time listener, first-time caller. I feel like I don't know if your audience <laughs> knows me well enough to. Uh, <laughs> no, we've mentioned you like probably in ha- damn near half the episodes. Oh, you know, you know what? I'm, I'm I was really happy. I I hadn't watched your first episode you ever made, or I hadn't listened to the first podcast you ever made because it was like the short one where you two were just yeah. kind of setting it up. Like we're thinking about doing this thing. I'm the first name you ever say. Oh wait, really? Because you podcast. were you were with me. I'm the first at name the you ever game. Podcast. Yeah. I listened to it today to get ready for this. That's wow. sick. Oh. Yes. <laughs> you were the four. You were the first aforementioned. You love that word. You said that almost every single episode. Do I, dude? <laughs> I'm that. so bad yeah. about that. This is like you talking about your voice. <laughs> it's, it's just recording. Yes. Uh, I like because I edit the podcast. I'll I'll have the conversation now and then I'll edit it. And then I'll probably listen to it for a third time just to give a... God, you're probably so thing. sick of me. <laughs> I'm not sick of you, but I, I pick up on words that you say often. Dude, you gotta start cutting those. Is, is one of them. Dude. I, I try to cut some, but but I can't just like randomly cut... I know, yeah. Especially because... Uh, no, that's something that I get in my own head about just in life is like... I think a lot of people do this. Like you hear a word or like you understand a word for the first time and like... Maybe your life, and you're like, I know how to use that word now. And you like try to like everywhere, throw yeah. it in there, and you're like, shut the fuck up! <laughs> like no one wants to hear you throw around dumb big words. And Just I'm probably the effect, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm probably Talking using it wrong. Words. You have a huge vocabulary. Yes, he does. Just in law school, because uh-oh. I feel like law students always have the wildest vocabulary. I don't think I have a huge vocabulary, but kind of like everyone, all of our friends. Do something for work and they pick up a special vocabulary sure there's just terms of art slang lingo yeah i have a very broy language no because i'm in like, you know so like, if you're in sales you're gonna pick up a lot of words related to like you know kpis and whatever yeah. and like whatever but that's they're like do sling that <laughs> dude honestly just, like if you're in data or whatever you're, like you're gonna be picking up a lot of like highly technical language that i don't know a lot of like acronyms just in general. Yeah. And the thing is like, you know, in law school, you end up reading a lot of old cases that were written, like think about old linguistic traits, like a lot of big words, a lot of, oh, kind of God, out yeah. of touch date words that we don't use so much. You sound like so, fucking Atticus Finch. Right. Right. So, <laughs> so, so like I spend like a lot of my week reading something from 80 years ago Oh my God. and then to just floating around in my brain are just these kind of archaic terms that you wouldn't use. How much like of it is... Oh my god, this is so boring and mundane. And how much of it is interesting? Um, once you've accepted that you're just kind of like along for the ride for three years, you, you find ways to make it interesting. So, so all of it's pretty rough. It can be pretty dry. I mean, it's very technical. Like the older cases are hard to read. Newer stuff is more interesting. Yeah. Um, every once in a while, you get a case about something that's like personally interesting, even though you're learning about something else, and you just kind of like, like I took a class on antitrust. Okay. Um, in the winter, and there were a couple cases about the NFL, and so oh, it's like it's true. really about antitrust, but you're reading about like, you know, if these 32 NFL teams are negotiating together, are they like one entity or are they 32 entities negotiating individually? Was that like the question at hand? Yeah. So antitrust is a lot of like you know if these two big companies merge, is that a problem? Is that like too big? Is that is that new company going to exercise monopoly power in, mm. in a market? Um, so there's interesting questions like, you know, does the NFL have 
a monopoly on, you know, kind of professional football in the United States? And if it does, do we think that's a problem? So it's like, it, it is kind of technical, but you're reading about football, so you can have a little fun with it. Yeah, like it's, I guess you get a little bit more, uh, I don't know, you don't use the word like hands-on, but like you kind of understand what's going on. It's a on. more tangible example. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. That's I mean, you point. know, because when you're reading about the NFL, you're like, well, I kind of understand how the teams work, and I know enough about the NFL yeah. to think about like, okay, well, you can't really negotiate for television rights if you're only one team. So you kind of yeah. all have to do that together because, you know, and you can't really, you know, there's no one to play against, you know, right? Like you have to think of the teams together in some, yeah. in, in, in some ways, otherwise there'd be no way to like, you know, sell broadcast rights to ESPN or schedule games at the same time. You wouldn't agree on the rules. You know? Dude, that's okay. I don't know if you'll really have an answer to this, but isn't the setup of the NFL completely different than every other professional sports league? Cause they are like, there's no regional aspect to the TV rights as versus like baseball, uh, basketball. Ooh. You know what I'm saying? Um, yes. Yeah, so I know the, I know the NFL sells their TV rights as one unit. Yeah. Like if you want NFL rights, you, you deal with the NFL as like a single entity. I don't know what like baseball, do you guys know baseball, baseball is very does? regional. Baseball is regional. They're going through some shit right now because that Bally sports is about to go bank or did go bankrupt or whatever. But that, I don't, I don't know anything about what's going on with that, but I'm trying to think. I think the NBA is like the NFL. I think it's regional is it, too. Is it regional too, because it's like you get Bulls games on NBC here, but oh, like at home, right. at home I say like but in that's Ohio, that's everywhere, even for football. Yeah, because they, I will see like. But it's the same Sundays. networks, is what I'm saying. It's the same networks, like Red Zone will black out your local game, but that's that's yeah. just a uh, choice okay. to get it's CBS, package. Fox, uh, and Amazon. Okay. Those are the only ones. CBS, Fox, ESPN, Amazon, and NBC are it. Okay, so NBA and MLB, it's kind of like regional yeah. negotiations. Interesting. I think the NHL is also regional. Huh. It's really odd. It, and soccer, I don't know. they're not getting me. Yeah, some of these things are just like historical leftovers from like how, yeah. how the sports got big and when they got big. But I just wonder like if that's more beneficial, less beneficial. That'd be something to kind of – I mean when you were talking to me – the reason I'm asking about this is because we were talking about Adam Silver coming to talk to you guys the whole oh, time. Yeah. And I was like – that shit has to be so interesting. Like, oh my gosh, yeah. So his I, brain is so wild. Yes, yeah, so Adam Adam Silver was a lawyer. He he went to law school at the University of Chicago. Yeah, that's right. So he's an alum, and he came back and spoke. Oh, I don't know, uh, several months ago, maybe. Yeah, it was uh, like it was last fall or something. I don't yeah. remember. Um, super interesting talking about um, the NBA as a business, yeah. and so much of what he did, of what he does, and so many of the decisions he makes. Um, he just gets crucified in the media. I mean, it's, you know, being commissioner, it's a thankless job. I think he's probably one of the more well-liked. Oh, absolutely. And I think he's doing a yeah. good job, but it's a thankless job just because, you know, you're the very, you're kind of like the public suit. Yeah. And yeah, so, you, you know, sure. and everybody likes the players and roots of their teams, but nobody likes you. Yeah. They're like the, pun they always say this about Roger Goodell. Like he's just the punching bag for the owners. Yeah. He deserves it. Oh, he's, a, I think he knows it too. He's just like, I'm going to do whatever the owners want and I'll just make my 15 mil or whatever he does a year. And I mean, I'm sure his job is way harder than I make it out to be, but like, what does he have to do really? other than just like crack down sometimes? Like, uh, <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, but yeah, Adam, Adam Silver was talking about, you know, the NBA has been making um, big promotional efforts in China lately. Yeah. And, that's... and you know, there, there's, Political complications with, you know, kind of Chinese oppression of Muslims and stuff. So there's all these political undertones like, oh, you know, why are you supporting China 
when you're when you know when they're doing all these horrible you know atrocities uh, exactly yeah you know borderline genocidal atrocities and stuff you know and you're going into these markets and and you know by by performing there and and, and like you know getting involved in that market you're kind of like implicitly supporting what they're doing and that that's horrible um and he had he had these really interesting points he says um you know, I, I actually talk to the government all the time. Um, and The United States government? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm in dialogue with our State Department and the We're White House uh, fairly regularly. And, you know, to the extent that the United States tries to avoid hot war, like actually sending guys with guns to shoot things. Um, I've never heard on, that described. I didn't know what hot war meant. Okay. Well, you, now I do. We called the Cold War a Cold War because... It makes sense. Nothing ever actually happened. Okay. okay. Um, you know, to the extent that we try to avoid hot war, we try to, you know, exert our influence through soft power and like soft power is kind of like, you know, we do certainly, we project military force, right? We, we send, uh, naval carriers through the South China sea to keep international waters contested. Um, you know, a big American export and the way we, um, exert influence on the world is culture. Like American culture is a huge export movies, music, our stars are the world's stars. And if the world likes our stars, our culture, our media, and consumes those, uh, we have influence in foreign countries. And so, you know, our government through a few presidential administrations has been actually quite supportive of the NBA, having a growing presence in China as a way that we can exert soft influence in our relationship with China as a country. So he's almost looked at as like a diplomat. In a way. Yeah. yeah. Um, he has relationships with their government. Yeah, because you know the bigger the bigger the Chinese market is for American basketball, the, we sell American basketball. The yeah. more they want it, the more we can control the terms on which they get it. It's a good point. Yeah, because it's one of the few. Like I referenced this when I was texting you about coming on. I'm reading. I just got done reading the chapter of the Uber book about him trying to get into China, and it was just like they don't want their government wants nothing to do with United States companies doing well over there. Yeah. They'll do everything to keep them out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and you know, the Chinese are smart. They, they understand that's the oh, game. Oh, yeah. And they they know they can kind of do whatever they need to do. Yeah. They Wait, so, so the book is uh, Super Pumped? It's called Super Pumped, yeah. So Max has gotten me on this fucking genre hard. Like, just crazy business stories. I think I was telling you, like, so he read... Bad Blood, which is the Theranos story. Oh, dude. Uh, Elizabeth Holmes. Legitimately the best book. I. It's probably a top three book I've ever read. Is it read. good? Oh, it's so good. It's a crazy story. And then you can just take in all the other content. There's docs. There's a doc. There's, I think there's two documentaries. There's a TV show on Hulu, which was actually really good. But then The Billion Dollar Loser. Was that the WeWork one? That one was really good. And then this one's about Uber. This one's a little bit more... I think it's... Well, they're all centered on, like, the, the founders, but this one talks more just, like, in the beginning, like, a general basis of, like, the tech industry and, like, what happened Is after. it early stage? It's, like, while they were founding it? Yeah. It tells the story of, like, the first two companies that, how do you say his last name? Kalnick? Kalanick? Yeah. Travis Kalnick was the founder of Uber. Like, he found a couple of companies before, and then he founded Uber, and, like, he got fucked over by Venture Capital and his second company, so he was, like... At this point, he knew that, like, founders in Silicon Valley were, they were everything. Like, VCs were just trying to give him money. So, he was like, I'm going to keep all the power. Yeah. And he, like... All right, we'll talk, we'll talk about the money later. Yeah. We'll get there. Regardless, it's just, like, 
that's interesting from the side of like from a he was doing so well and growing so quickly domestically and he was pretty like competitive so to speak i think the book makes it out to be like he was way more broy i think they make the competitive out to be like way more of a negative than it was probably pretty positive too like broy culture in the building or like yeah you have to be competitive to they were just really compete. aggressive which yeah i've worked at a company that's super aggressive in their market and don't get me wrong it's not fun to work for them but like people are making money and it's good for business yeah but from like the international perspective like him trying to get into china he like they go through the the dollar values of just like how much money they were just blowing and couldn't turn a profit and then they were dealing with fraud and like what's it dd is the Chinese yeah yeah, yeah they talk that's, a lot that's like about the state sponsor it's like yeah chinese government has a super funded in there and, yeah it's crazy yeah and then they were like there was all sorts of stories of like just like fucked up shit happening to like drivers and uh like riders in china a couple yeah. people like killed themselves and shit and like the Chinese government was doing nothing. So it was like about taxi drivers in those regions would get would get pissed. It was like Uber was coming in, undercutting them. Uh, like India, I think drivers that were was, getting yeah. killed by taxi drivers because they were coming in, undercutting, taking business away. And it was like unsafe to be an Uber driver in India. But Uber kept paying people to like be drivers. So like we will pay you. Just so kept much incentivizing money just to like try to get the business off the ground. Because they knew it took a lot of money up front to get people using it. And then over time, they would hopefully make that back. Um, a little moral hazard there. Yeah. It's yeah. very – I don't really – I haven't gotten to the point of like what ended up happening. I'm assuming we're not really in Asia anymore. I say no, we. I don't think Uber figure, operates yeah. in China. No, they today. sold their rights to – I think – That's right. Yeah. Okay. But anyways, long story short, it's just like the NBA, I'm sure – Really, the NBA is definitely the biggest, but I'm sure there's other, like, Hollywood probably has some pretty good relationships with, like, well, the, that was the whole thing with, like, Top Gun, right? Didn't they? Didn't they change some scenes? Isn't there a different version of the movie released in the Chinese market? But there is, I think they maybe never did. No? Because there was, like, something, I, Tom Cruise had a specific patch on his jacket that the Chinese government said, we're not going to air it if that's on there. And he said, fuck it, we just won't do it. Which is crazy. They would have made so much money. But I also think it's crazy that that movie <clears throat> did well in China, given that it's such like an American, uh, yeah, like feel good movie. I mean, I think there's just so many people over there that like. I know it's just wild because we don't watch like, oh my god, this is a Chinese feel good movie. Yeah, no. Like you know what I'm saying? Like for America to be the center of the world for entertainment, like Price was saying, yeah, is just a wild concept. Yeah, I mean it, it's an, a very, it's a very important way. That we project soft power. Yeah. Soft power. That's a very, like, yeah. I never really, until you started telling me the Adam Silver story a while ago, I was like, I never thought about it like that, but that does make sense. Also, yeah, and he was just so polished and professional. I mean, listening to him speak, I thought, like, oh, this guy's the right... He knows what's going on, yeah. What did you say? I was going to say one f random fun fact. You said Goodell makes, like, roughly $15 million. Yeah, what is it? Not even close. In 2019 to 2020, he made $64 million. Oh, which, I knew it was a which lot. Which dwarfs the NBA commissioner Adam Silver and the MLB commissioner Rob Manfield for ten million and seven point five respectively. Oh, those poor guys. Wait, how much does Silver make? Ten. What? Manfred makes more than Silver? Yeah, seventeen point five. There's got to be some incentives in Silver's contract. That's crazy. The what? NBA makes way more than the value of the league has exploded under Silver. Yeah. What? Goodell makes sixty-four million dollars. That was back 
four years ago. So it's probably even more now. I think he's wow. he's up for renewal too. I think next year, the year after or something. And who decides? Is there a board? I think it's just the owners come I together. Owners, and I think there's a voting system for them. Yeah. The owners each have. It's basically there's 30 to 32 owners and then the commissioner and they're all just a boys club. It's literally, it's all it is. And Green Bay has their weird. They're yeah, like they have like their, by the city or they have individual their, citizens. They have a board, and then they have the president of the board is basically a, a, an acting owner person. He like acts on behalf of. Yeah, yeah. Is there is there any female owners? Um, technically, the Raiders right now because Al Davis died, and then the Raiders ownership is in his wife's name. But once she passes away, that's actually an interesting topic. Part of my takes, I've talked about this a lot, but. They think that so Al Davis's son Mark Davis will become the heir to the Raiders after his mom dies. He basically runs the team right now, but they're thinking with the way the tax system is set up right now on the uh, inheritance tax, yeah. he's not going to be able to afford it <laughs> because he does not he's not liquid enough. Yeah, so he's, he's probably going to have to he's going to have to sell the team when his mom dies. Whoa. Unless they there's this is another thing. There's got to be like legal ways to get around that, right? This is the kind of thing where you you could you could hire an investment banker to figure out how you um, how you use the expected future value of the franchise to collateralize a loan today to pay that you'd use to pay the taxes. Interesting, because isn't there a way to like? Isn't it not necessarily an inheritance if it goes to like? If it's in a, I guess a will is inheritance, but isn't there another way to set it up that it's not necessarily an inheritance? Yeah, so you can, you can set up uh, various types of trusts. Yeah. Um, so what, you know, if you if you had a bunch of stuff and you're getting older, one way you could do it is you could, um, if you're going to buy a vacation house, you jointly buy it through a company that your son also owns half of. And then when you die, your son inherits your shares in the company, but there's technically no sale. So huh. inherit something that isn't like cash. There's no sale. It's hard to value the company. So there's like ways to structure it that way. Or you could do a trust where you form a trust. The trust buys the house, and then your son is the beneficiary of the trust. So, so, couldn't so they when just you do die, that? there was no sale of anything, no transfer of anything to the son. He was always a beneficiary of the trust. Yeah, you just happened to die. Couldn't Al Davis, Al Davis's wife, just do that for his son and just avoid all of these problems? Or is it more complicated? Theoretically, yes. I mean, I, I don't know if there's like something specific about a franchise where like it yeah. must like it could be that the uh, the league requires the franchise to be sold. Sometimes leagues and other businesses like conglomerate type businesses like this, where there's mo- lots of players that contribute to one big thing, um, like to see an actual sale once in a while. Because if you think about it, um, you don't really know how much these franchises are worth until one goes up for sale. You can like kind of estimate. But until one goes up for sale, you don't know what someone's going to actually pay for one of these franchises. Yeah. And they turn over so infrequently that it's hard to value your investment. So the league sometimes wants to see a straight-up sale as a benchmark to know. To get like, engaged. We kind, of, we kind of know what the Raiders are worth. And that gives us an idea of what these other franchises are worth. And then you can gauge dollars. what the entire league is worth. Yeah. So sometimes, I mean, it could be like the league has a clause or something that requires a straight-up sale. Huh. Yeah. Honestly, like really... Growing up, I don't really remember many teams being sold, but in recent years, they've happened more often. Like, the Clippers got sold because of the whole fucking Donald oh, Sterling thing. Oh that was crazy. Yeah. Um, the Panthers, I think, just got sold. Panthers. Yeah, or maybe they're... Yeah. Yeah, no, that was another, like, sexual scandal. He was, like, real creepy. Similar, he just like, died. And stuff. Yeah, they had, like, Jeans Friday, and he was, like, yeah. real... 
Real, real s- <laughs> yeah, definitely a misogynist. Um, anyways, this is a roundabout way. I kind of wanted to ask you too. I don't really think I put this in here. Maybe I did, but what is your like goal? Like, what are you trying to get into? What's the ultimate, like, if you were in this line of business as a lawyer, what would it be? So I'm going to, I'm going to go to Go to New York after I graduate, and I'll be working yeah. in mergers and acquisitions law. That's my moving to NY. Sad. Moving to NY. Sad. <laughs> Literally, has a, <laughs> <laughs> in the notes. we got a while though. It's like after we got a while. Look, right? I, I flew in from uh, New York last night. It's two hours. It's close. There's planes, trains, and automobiles. It's fine. Yes, there are. That's true. Um, yes, yeah, so I want. I want to do M and A work. Um, okay, mergers so and acquisitions. Okay. So companies buying other companies, pieces of companies, selling themselves or other parts of stuff to other people. Um, I'll be working at a firm that does a lot of private equity work. Um, okay. so there's kind of like public markets companies that are traded on stock exchanges. And then most companies are actually privately owned by either institutional investors or like high net worth individual investors. Okay. Um, and so I'll, I'll be working on transactions. I'll be doing deal work. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> I've talked to you about this like a million times. It is literally like suits, like the show suits. Uh, lawyers hate the show suits. Oh, I'm sure. Because it, it's I like, probably brought it up to you and Chris like a hundred times. Yeah. Like, is this actually real? And you guys are just like, probably, like absolutely not. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like an actual doctor would be like, actually, that surgery takes 18 and a half hours. It requires yeah. 30 people. It's disgusting. <laughs> it's boring. <laughs> it's just really hell. boring. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's, that is one thing I'm sure suits makes like. Like Harvey, the main character, he basically does nothing other than just negotiate. Dude, I'm sure he's it needy. made me want to go back and become a lawyer. Oh yeah, it's I really good that you didn't do that on, I know. <laughs> on the basis of the, <laughs> on the premise of that. Shows, like, you would have had a bad the, time. Like, work to do all the reading you have to do, oh. all that stuff. You don't see any of it. Yeah, and they also like imagine like imagine a Grey's Anatomy show where like one day they're doing heart surgery and the other day they're like fixing a broken leg and the next day they're doing like an open brain lobotomy and every doctor would be like, well, no, like I spent 30 years learning to do like one of those things well. Yeah, that's fair. That's a good point. But like an ER surgeon, they probably do some, I don't know. Maybe they're- Yeah, you'll have like surgeons on ER on call rotation, but you'll pull, I mean like an orthopedic surgeon that sets bones and stuff is not going to do a brain surgery. Yeah, I mean, that's like fair. you call in a neurosurgeon specialist for that. I mean, and same, same thing in law, it's just like there's a lot of specialized knowledge where like I'll be doing deal work. I'll never walk into a courtroom. Yeah. that's If I'm in a courtroom, I, I'm in trouble, right? Like, I'll never defend someone in court. Well, hold on. Whoa. What, what the fuck? I thought you were supposed to be my lawyer. What if I get in trouble, bro? I'd help you negotiate to stay out of trouble in the first place. That's my job. Wait, what do you mean? Um, he, he would make sure that you don't even make it to the courtroom. That's the by goal. By negotiating. That's the goal. Under the table. Or I, I negotiate. To or I negotiate for you, you know, you do a deal, you know, the lawyers had you know, argue over some eighty page contract that you don't read because I read it, and inside that contract I've negotiated for a bunch of provisions and say, you know, if Head ever goes to jail, you pay him two hundred dollars and kiss him on the cheek and tell him to go home. Like <laughs> That's sick. <laughs> is the goal. And the other side would be like, I'm obviously not gonna do that. And I'm like, okay, well maybe we just I mean worse comes to worse. Honestly, I've always said this is like not even joking. Knowing you and Chris is just nice because if I do ever, for whatever reason, get into some shit or any of our friends, it's not even so much about you guys like being there for us. It's like you guys know people that would actually be able to help us out. Yeah. And, which is the and, the other, and the other thing is like, um, you know, part of it's just the confidence where like, you know, I'm finishing up law school now and like even parts of the law I don't know a lot about. Uh, 
Like, I know enough about how to read these things. I could look at something and be like, that's a little screwy. That doesn't... Really? Yeah. Yeah, like, um, we were just in New York, uh, Sarah and I, and one of her close friends had a tough move-in situation. She drove from LA all the way to New York City, got to this apartment, and it looked like a squatter had gotten into it. Like, the locks didn't work. There was just garbage everywhere, holes in the ceiling and stuff. What? And the company... The property management company tried telling her, uh, you're shit out of luck. Sorry. Like, you know, that's just what, it, this is the unit you rented. Um, and Sarah knows nothing about real estate law, but like, you know, took her a couple hours to look up some stuff and it's like, send the landlord this. And, that's, it, and it was cleaned up in a day. That's crazy. So you got, that's, week, maybe, I think I that's know. the one really nice thing is even if you specialize in M&A, you're probably going to be the most resourceful person just in terms of like language of anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's pretty specific. So, you know, yeah. if you have if you have a, you know, you pay lawyers millions of dollars on billion dollar problems. Um, you know, so if you have a billion dollar problem, you could get a specialist. But if you've if you've got a thousand dollar problem, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can weigh in. You're going to figure it out. Yeah. That's fair. No, that's that's interesting. What made you want to go into this field? Oh. It's not like you were probably in middle school and be like, yeah, I want to be an M&A lawyer. Can't wait to like make these deals for companies. Like what? What was the point where you were like, yeah, actually, this is super interesting. I, I was four and a half minutes into the first episode of Suits. And I, <laughs> <laughs> and I was locked <laughs> um, No, I, I was a pretty nerdy kid. You know, I, I was pretty introverted. Um, what was your undergrad? I went to Tufts. Wait, small school in Boston. No, sorry. What, what did you study in undergrad? I have a Bachelor of Arts in Philosophy and a Bachelor of Science in Cognitive and Brain Science. What the fuck? Cognitive what? Cognitive brain science. I don't think I ever knew that. Yes. Yeah, so, so in college I did, um, I, wrote, I wrote a uh, honors thesis in philosophy about physicalism and phenomenal concepts, and I did a lot of work in a human robotic interaction lab do, modeling like trust behaviors. What the, the vocabulary again? again going I, back to Yeah, that. the last like four sentences that you said, <laughs> I don't even like comprehend. Um, like human, robot, human robotic interaction, like a simple version would be like, um, how do we convince people to trust ATMs when we first invent them? It's a machine in a wall that just gives you money. Like, how do we... <laughs> it's kind of a wild-ass concept. Uh, and now we've gone too far and we're like, all right, how do we make sure people don't trust chat, chat GPT too much? Um, oh, yeah, that's... You know, so if you think about all the times in a day you interact with... Like, you ever use a chat bot on a website and you kind of trust it to be telling you accurate information? It could just be lying to you. You've been conditioned to trust the chat bot. Yeah. Like, hi, how can I help you? Oh, like, I didn't get my package. Um, I just thought it was just set up to be, like, automated. Like, if we've gotten this question before, we know how to answer it. Psychologists um, model how to make people feel comfortable using technology. If the technology gives you too much information at once, you get freaked out. Technology doesn't seem competent. You don't use it. So that was what one of your majors was. Well, it, it was, you know, a cognitive science focus, but I worked in a lab that did a lot of research okay. there. And so it was like yeah. a specific project. Yeah. Type yeah. Of thing. Okay. Jesus Christ. Anyways, back to Max's question. Um, I'm sorry. No, you know, I, I, was, I was a pretty nerdy kid to be honest. So I was, I was on the debate team all through high school and college. Fuck a lot yeah. of debating. Yeah, so. Fuck yeah. For ice cream. <laughs> um, Master debaters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I, I, all right, fine. I'll, I'll just be... <laughs> yeah, just lean in. Yeah, I'll just, just lean, lean in. in. Come on. Uh, you know, I, I studied Latin and ancient Greek for years when I was a kid. When I Latin's was not that crazy. I knew people that studied Latin. Yeah, yeah. And so, ancient Greek as a kid. That's true. Yeah. As a kid, 
None yeah, yeah. So I did. I, I, I um, in in high school, I spent a few years, and I, I translated. I have my own translation somewhere of like a good chunk of the New Testament of the Bible, like all out of the original. Yeah. What the fuck? You um, did that for fun? Yeah. Oh. No. <laughs> yeah, you're not a nerd, dude. You're a dweeb. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. It's not good. Um, but yeah, so like you know, and and then I majored in philosophy, and so I was like you know thinking a lot about kind of like big picture questions about the world, how do things work, and. Uh, kind of like the argumentative nature of debate, um, you know, kind of sharpening the pencil, right? Going back and forth on an idea, trying to, you know, yeah, the adversarial system, right? Getting to truth by hitting two people diametrically opposed towards the same goal, right? Uh, and kind of liked all that. And, you know, I graduated with a degree in philosophy and cognitive science. And I didn't want to be a teacher. So it was, you know, go be a barista or go to law school. So that's true. Yeah. That is one of those like majors that someone says and you're like, so what do you do with that? <laughs> like, a, yeah, philosophy yeah. is like the, you know, the stereotype of, I can't tell you how many times people in conversation have joked, like I didn't get some useless degree like philosophy. Like I'm just like standing at a cocktail party. Like, yeah. Tough. I was like, yeah, those, <laughs> those what squares. A, what an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> what an idiot. But that is like those, some of those majors, it's like you literally either go do something else or you teach because it's like, oh yeah, theory, the whole idea of like, philosophy is theory right like none of it is tangible actual things it's super theoretical yeah, yeah. You're thinking about the world these big questions that for thousands of years we haven't been able to answer yeah god damn so there's I no can... job that just lets you sit in a room and think about interesting stuff <laughs> yeah no one's gonna to pay produce to something. Do that yeah yeah and then after i graduated i spent a couple years in new york working i was a paralegal at a big firm uh yeah. oh i don't know you mentioned this earlier if you want to talk about silicon valley bank um, oh yeah the firm i used to work for they're lawyers what? Yeah. So I know, I, I mean, I was super junior, they were very senior, but like I, I know some of the names that are Fuck like the outside counsel for Silicon Valley Bank. So I spent two years um, as a paralegal doing M&A work in New York and I really liked the deal stuff and I decided to go to law school and yeah, that's kind of, that's the story. I mean, that's cool. But like specifically M&A, just because when you're a paralegal, you kind of saw that specific stuff. No. So I, I, um, <clears throat> I got this job interview in New York. I took the train down from Boston and I was supposed to be a litigation paralegal. And I thought like litigation, you go to court, you argue in front of a judge kind of thing. And like the I stereotypical, took, yeah, like stereotypical, what everyone thinks, you know, gavel, gavel, your honor, uh, you know, what people think lawyers do. And, you know, I was an undergrad. I didn't know anything about lawyers. My parents aren't lawyers or anything. I don't have lawyers in the family. And so I got this interview to be a paralegal in the litigation group. I take the train all the way down to New York and I walk into the building. The HR lady's like, that job's filled. Do you want to interview for m and That's insane. Uh, and I was, I, I did taken a train hours. I like didn't have a, I was, I was sure. You know, what do you hear? I'm like yeah. in a suit and tie. I'm in the building. Sure. What was that interview like? Like you, did you, how much did you prep for? For m and Not at all. I didn't think I was being interviewed for that job. Wait, that, that one woman kind of decided the rest of your life. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. It's not kind of crazy. That, I, I mean, mean, you can you could shift at some point later, but like maybe. Oh yeah, yeah. Not. Look, I mean, you know, I'm not boxed in to a corner at all. But um, yeah, yeah. Kind of, you got It's kind of it's like um, you got to be open to opportunities in life when people say things. Like I didn't want the M and A the M and A job when she first offered it to me. I was super nervous, but I said yes, and the interviews went okay, I guess. And yeah. um, I think I'm much happier now than I would have been had I gone the other route. So. What was the other route? Sorry, I missed it. Litigation. Litigation. You know, to argue like in court stereotype. and, you know, be a trial lawyer, do appellate work or something like that. Yeah. That is fucking wild. Okay. Shift, hard shift here because you brought it up. I've tried to intake a lot of content over oh, the no. Silicon Valley Bank thing and I still, I think 
most people understand like what a run on the bank is. Yeah. We understand like basically why the run on the bank happened. Like Peter Thiel and a bunch of other VCs basically said like, this isn't a good bank. Get your money out. Right. Uh, but, yes and no. Before we get too in depth, do you want to give like a very like 15 second, like what is happening? With Silicon Valley bank went belly up. Yeah. So Silicon Valley bank, um, was one of the largest, what we would call regional banks in the country. And 15th largest. 15th largest. That's crazy. Um, and they went into FDIC receivership. So the FDIC is the Federal Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation or something to that effect. It insures deposits per depositor up to a quarter million dollars in all the main... American banks. I never realized that it's only a quarter of a million dollars. Is that a problem for you? No, it's not. (laughs) And the reason I brought that up is because like when I hear that, I'm like, well, I would never have probably, I mean, maybe one day and hopefully you could have That's my, that was my next point was like, if you own a business and that's fucking sketchy to have cash. So that's why a lot of businesses have their cash at many different establishments. Exactly. Okay. Anyways, go on. Sorry. Um, but like if you're a big business and you need to make payroll on Friday, you're going to have more than a quarter million dollars in a bank account because sure. all that money is going to flow out to, you know, a thousand employees or whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway, it went into FDIC receivership. So basically, you know, and you know, this is all econ 101. It's all very complicated. They've got PhDs in caves in New York City, you know, making a million dollars a year, just building models to figure all this stuff out. But, you know, the econ 101 version is it, the FDIC insures deposits, um, but if it's going to give that kind of guarantee, the FDIC gets to take you over if you fuck around. Um, and so run of the bank is, to, you know, typical banks, like uh, the banks that you have a checking account at or I have a savings account at, they're, they're fractional reserve lending banks. Um, you got to explain that. Okay, so fractional reserve lending, three words, every word is doing a little bit of work. Um, banks take in money as deposits and basically... What you do when you deposit money in a bank is you're giving the bank uh, like a short-term loan of an undetermined amount of time. The bank has your money until you ask for it back. The bank isn't making any money off you really. It's just holding that money for you. So how do banks generate a profit? They loan, they pool together all the deposits they have and any capital they've raised from shareholders or whatever. And they loan that money out to other people that need a small business loan or a mortgage. And that's how banks make money. So, um, sorry, just really quick. This is something that I didn't understand. Most banks might have, let's just say, for example, $1 million in deposits, meaning they have X amount of customers that have a total sum of a $1 million with that bank. Yep. They do not have a $1 million in cash, probably ever. No, because they'd never make any money. A bank would yeah, be profitable. Yeah, okay. That's, it's, it's not profitable to sit on a million dollars. It costs money to hold on to all your money. For sure. So they loan it out and then they collect interest, which makes them money. Okay. Exactly. Sorry, that um, was something that conceptually I don't think I realized until maybe two or three years ago. And so the idea with banks is uh, they need to keep some money on hand. Because every day some people come to the bank and ask for a little bit of money. For sure. But they got some quantitative, you know, quant guys, some math guys figuring out like, well, on every given day, like... People take out kind of 3% of the money we've got. So maybe we'll hold on to like 10% just to be safe. But there's a duration problem. You deposit money in a bank. You can get that money back whenever you want. You can go get 100% of your money tomorrow. But on the other side, these are all longer term loans. 
If I loan you money for a 30-year mortgage on your house and he comes and asks me for his money back tomorrow, I've lent his money out to you to buy a house. So you're sitting there as a middleman like, fuck. Yeah, and you're going to have you, – you, I gave you a 30-year loan. He wants his money tomorrow. So there's a duration problem. Okay. Right? And so a typical bank like that, that that's – a typical bank run, that's a problem, right? Um, depositors can ask for the money back whenever they want, but we loaned it to people for like a long amount of time. And what started this bank run? I, I don't know a lot about this situation. This is the thing that was confusing to me. Was and there like a catalyst that like prompted people to go and try to take their money out? Yeah. So that's how a traditional bank works. They do loans to like small businesses and like mortgages and stuff like that on the other side of the balance sheet. For reference, this is how I make all of my money because at yeah. DocuSign, every loan needs a piece of paper that has signed on. So <laughs> every bank that I work with, bank and credit union, I always ask how many loans you guys do next year. Anyways, go on. Oh, that's a big number for you. It's like the number of loans they write. Loans, mortgages, um, and then just like random applications that people might need. Okay. Anyways. Um, Silicon Bank, Silicon Valley Bank is kind of a weird situation. Um, they catered prime, they catered not exclusively, but like primarily to kind of like tech startup type companies. Which is risky in and of itself, right? Yeah, because, you know, the ideal bank has... You know, the, the bank run is the problem a bank worries about. They worry about all their customers coming in the same day and asking for the money. So you want your depositors to be diversified. You want them to be some mom and pop shops, some big businesses, some families, some single dudes, because these are all different kinds of people and the odds of them all wanting their money on the same day are low. If all your clients are the same kind of person, tech startups, and if all your clients are financed by the same 10 people, venture capital funds... There's a huge concentration of risk. Peter Thiel. Because Peter <laughs> Thiel is going to call your 50 biggest, biggest clients on the same day and tell them, I don't trust Silicon Valley Bank anymore. Get your money out. And people trust Peter Thiel. That guy. It doesn't matter if you trust him. He owns half your company. He calls you and tells oh, you to yeah. get your money out. You get your money out. True. So there's a huge concentration of risk on the depositor side because you have a lot of – like all your depositors are the same kind of company and they're all owned by venture capital dudes. And if the venture capital dudes, dudes get spooked, all of your depositors start pulling money out at once, as opposed to a traditional, like JP Morgan, has diversified depositors. So, you yeah. know, Peter Thiel can't call, isn't going to call you and ask you to pull your money out. I mean... What caused Peter Thiel to not trust Silicon Valley Bank? First question. Second one, is he going to get in trouble for causing this? He won't get in any trouble. He didn't do anything illegal. Yeah, he just gave his opinion. You're allowed people, to withdraw money from a bank whenever you want. People are pissed at him. Fails, but that's the bank's fault. The bank's job is to yeah. give you your money back when you ask for it. Yeah. That's a very fair question though, because I I kept seeing shit on Twitter that was like Peter Thiel's an asshole. Like, why did he do this? I mean, he's undeniably an asshole, but he didn't do anything illegal. Yeah, and he was right. The bank did fail. So if you're Peter Thiel and you're worried that the bank's not going to be able to give you your money back, the right. right the right move is to tell your to tell your investments to get their money. Do you guys do you know? Know? I'm good. Do you know what? Caution to initially say, hey, I do not trust this bank. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so sorry for the listeners because this is just going to get this is deep in the weeds on financial nonsense. So a traditional bank lends mortgages, small business loans. But at the same time that this has happened, this is set against the backdrop of about a year, maybe 18 months of rising interest rates. And rising interest rates have influenced what Silicon Valley Bank did with all the deposits, the deposits they got from people. Um. Silicon Valley Bank, basically all of its customers are these tech startups. When interest rates are really low, 
Everybody puts money to work. And it push low interest rates push investors up the risk curve. Do you want me to explain interest rates? <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> I, I just don't want, like, I'm thinking for the listener, like, yeah. if you don't already understand this, then you probably don't care. So, yeah. okay. Yeah. Basically, when interest rates are low, you don't get a lot for your dollar. So you have to find riskier and riskier things yep. to earn a buck. So when interest rates are low, tech startups start coming out of every garage, every loft, every apartment everywhere. Because people want to take a chance that they are going to be the next Facebook. You got to try harder to earn 5% or 10% return. So you might as well give it to the kid down the street who's starting the next Facebook. Because was, take the risk, right? Yeah. I think this was the other thing. And I, I think I kind of brought this up when I texted you. The point that they made, which was so timely, I read the chapter in Super Pumped about Uber. They were talking about like how this second tech pop after the dot-com bubble kind of happened in California because... Everyone, this is like right after the 08 crisis when everyone is like, fuck the banks, fuck all of these VCs and private equity firms. Let's put our money in tech, which was like the new hot thing. Anyone can build an app and anyone can become the next Facebook. So no one was really paying attention to them. It's basically like everybody had their eyes on the East Coast and no one was paying attention to what the fuck was happening over on the West Coast. Sorry, go on. Yeah, and tech's a great promise because, like, if I build you a house and tell you the house will be more in the future, you might believe it's worth a little more. But, it, I mean, it's a house. Yeah. But an app, that could be worth anything. Yeah. And I could tell you any huge number and you'd be like, maybe. Dude, that's the other thing that's, that's crazy is, like, the fucking valuations that were going on out there is just asinine. Like... And it's all on paper. No one's actually buying anything for that price. It's crazy. Yeah, sorry. Just wanted to... Point that out. Anyways. So now that interest rates have been rising over the past year and a half, what does Silicon Valley Bank do? Yeah. This is the um, part that loses me. Silicon Valley Bank's depositors are tech startups that are flush with cash because interest rates have been low and investors are just piling money into their startups. Peter Thiel likes a bunch of companies. He gives them a couple billion dollars. Those companies deposit it in Silicon Valley Bank. But because their customers are all tech startups, they don't really need any loans because interest rates have been low. And Peter Thiel and other venture capitalists have been giving these companies, the Silicon Valley Bank's client, uh, depositors, tons of money. So Silicon Valley Bank says, thanks, tech startups, for all your deposits. Would you like some loans or something so we can make some money as a bank, the way banks do? <laughs> like, and nah. they're like, nah, we're good. We have cash. Peter we don't... just gives so much money. Like, we're <laughs> chill. And the bank's like, oh, that's a problem. <laughs> um, so the bank needs to make money some other way. Um, so the bank buys, like... Safe instruments, because the bank knows that any of these companies could ask for their money back whenever they want. So the bank can't buy super risky stuff because it needs the money on hand. So the bank buys safe instruments like treasuries, like U.S. treasuries, like, uh, you know, the government is always going to pay. This is where, like, the bonds came in and shit? Yeah. Okay. The government's always going to pay its bills. You get U.S. treasuries, like government bonds. The government, you know, we call it the risk-free rate of return on U.S. treasuries. Uh, the thinking is um, uh, the U.S. government will always... Pay its bills, or the like. The cynical perspective is, if the U.S. government isn't paying its bills, you have bigger problems, so don't worry about it. You know, both are kind of right. <laughs> That's scary. <laughs> um, the problem is, it bought a bunch of those treasuries in like 2020 and 2021 when interest rates were low. Um, interest rates have started rising, so Silicon Valley Bank has now been holding a bunch of treasuries that barely pay any interest, and those treasuries are now worth less because today I can buy a treasury that will pay me more. 
So why would I buy this treasury from Silicon Valley Bank from a year and a half ago that's only paying 2% when I can go right to the government and get one that pays 6 6 or 7 yeah. Or, you know, whatever the number is. Yeah, it's, it's high right now. So Silicon Valley Bank struggled to sell these treasuries for anything as much as they paid for them when everyone came asking for their money back. So they've just been sitting on them. Yeah, and the problem is... Silicon Valley Bank can hold a treasury, like a 10-year or a 20-year treasury to maturity, get all their money back. But they mean money today. So the problem was, isn't like a lot of the maturity not hitting until like 2024, 2025? Maybe even longer, yeah. I, that was just a number that I had thrown out. So I was like, damn, they just need to wait like a couple more years and they would have had some cash. They might have well, been I okay. That's what I thought. It was like 10-year, 20-year, 30-year T-bills, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Wow, you just simplified that. Pretty well, yeah. actually. So this is – this was another thing that I heard too was like – the reason I wanted to talk about this, I was listening to the dog walk and that one guy, Chief, was trying to explain it. And he was doing a good job. He was just a little bit scatterbrained because he doesn't like understand the financials. But his biggest point was like no one would have realized this. But Silicon Valley Bank is a public company and Peter Thiel is a smart enough dude that he's looking through these financials being like – these fuckers don't have cash. This is really scary. Yeah. So that's why he brought it up, right? Um, there are different ways to make money. Traditional way a bank makes money is credit risk. It, it decides who to give loans to. It decides if you're credit worthy or not. That's the risk the, the okay. typical banks take. Bank screws up if it gives loans to a bunch of people that can't ban back. Bank does good if it gives loans to a bunch of people that can. Silicon Valley Bank's problem was interest rate risk and duration risk. It didn't loan money to people that couldn't pay it back. It took a bunch, it bought a bunch of interest rate sensitive instruments when interest rates were low and interest rates have risen. And it bought instruments that were long duration instruments, aren't going to pay back for 10 years, 20 years if you hold them to maturity. And everybody asked for their money on Friday. Always, yeah. And that's the game. And the bank is supposed to deal with that. That's correct. Right? That's the bank's job is to match duration um, and to like, you know, the, this, this is what a bank does, right? Like what I've explained to you right now is like if you ran a bank, your job every day would be to figure out like if everybody asks for their money, how do we give it back to them? <laughs> That's fucking crazy. But if we have all their money, we'll never make anything. So we so always need we... to not have all their money. That was the other thing that I was reading about too is like this should have been flagged probably earlier on because SVB didn't have the risk people in place for like quite some time. Like they didn't really have a chief risk officer. I think for like eight months. That's yeah, that was the thing I saw on LinkedIn. And it was like, how does someone whoever governs this, which I'm a big believer in like less government, but that's a scenario that's like, goddamn, people need their money. Yeah. Whoever governs that needs to see that and be like, this is a fucking problem. Yep. These people are gonna screw people over. I'm pretty sure who they hired for their chief risk officer too, I could be wrong on this, was one of the main people from the Lehman Brothers. Back in, yeah. The irony is yeah. Yeah, I forget his scary. Name. I saw that as well. I think there was like a lot of the leadership from like failed banks back in 2008. Was the Lehman Brothers the only one that they actually let topple? Did they bail everybody else out except them? Was that what they it was? They let Lehman Brothers go under and I think a couple other banks. A Freddie Mae and Freddie Mac, right? Well, they were taken over by the government. Okay. So they didn't, I mean, I guess, well, gray area. They still exist, but they're they uh, the government I think continues to own them. Owns them. Oh yeah, that's right because they are. 
this is really bad too because this is like the the line of work that I work in. Not obviously directly, but like I yeah. work with banks and credit unions. That's like what I do. And it's – I just learned the other day how like insurance works. Like I, <laughs> I was talking to some like larger insurance firm and they were explaining to me like the Florida situation, how nobody can get policies in Florida. I won't go like super For sea waters. And, right. Yeah. And like I was like, can you just explain this to me like I'm a total idiot? And like the woman was really nice and she walked me through it in like 10 minutes. I was like, thank you. I totally understand how like policies work now. Like I appreciate that. <laughs> but anyways, long story short. So I d- what's going to happen to SVP? They got seized. Uh, So they went into FDIC receivership. And that basically means that's the government's deal. Like, look, if we're going to insure every depositor up to a quarter million dollars, you know, the taxpayer's on the hook for that. So the taxpayer needs to have some control over you if you screw up big time and you screwed up big time. So we're going to come in. We're going to fire all the senior executives. And I think a mistake a lot of people are doing is calling this a government bailout of the bank. And it's not a bailout. The depositors are being made whole. So anyone, like if you had 200 bucks in... Silicon Valley Bank. But it's even people that are over 250000 right? Yes. The government is still looking for a buyer of the bank. Remember, if someone else is willing to buy Silicon Valley Bank and hold all these treasuries to maturity, they've got enough money to pay everyone back. It's a timing problem, not a money problem. Okay. So government was over the weekend looking for a buyer for Silicon Valley Bank. Didn't find one, so the government still owns it. Even if the government keeps it, all it has to do is hold its own treasuries to maturity. It'll have enough money to pay everyone back. But who 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 doesn't get any money? Executives get nothing. Shareholders of Silicon Valley Bank, it was a public company, get nothing. They're all wiped out. They go to what's zero. their share at right now? Zero. Just, it's so worth it's nothing. They're wiped out. How does that work? It's off the public markets in terms of like you can't buy stock. Yeah. So trading gets halted when a certain volatility threshold is hit. That was hit early. Um, went into FDIC receivership. Government just owns it now. Like if you're a shareholder of the bank, you're shit out of luck. Yeah. So it wasn't a bank. It wasn't a bank bailout. The government didn't bail out the company and then give shareholders in the bank a bunch of money. Like, yeah. Hey, sorry guys, the taxpayers just gonna foot the bill for your dumb executives making bad decisions. No, we're gonna make depositors whole. So if you're Joe Schmo and you had a bank account here, we're gonna make sure you got your money back. That's what the government's role is to help sure that Joe Schmo gets his money. If you're an investor in this crappy bank run by a guy who made bad decisions. Too bad. That's a risk. That's the that's that's the uh, that's the bet. I think the counter argument is you're right in the sense of like what a traditional bailout is is what you just described. But people are still saying like, well, this is a bailout because in terms of what the FDIC says, we're only going to pay out two hundred fifty thousand. The government came in and said, we're going to bail out everybody. We're going to make sure you're all whole. That technically shouldn't have happened, and now the problem is they're setting the precedent that even if you are a bank who does risky shit like this, and you go belly up, we'll probably just make sure it's fine. And nobody's going to go to jail. No, no, Nothing's going to happen to anyone that made these poor decisions. Yeah, and, and, and so the government has to walk a high wire, right? It, it, it's a tightrope act, because look at what's happened since. Uh... First National, getting a huge injection of cash right now, another regional bank, but another like top 20 biggest bank in the country, um, having problems, right? So like there's these other mid-sized banks um, and the risk that the government sees is if we don't make these depositors whole, everyone's going to pull money out of all similarly sized mid-sized banks. And then we're just going to have run on the banks all over the fucking place. 
and maybe it's better to, you know, bite our tongue and do this thing we don't really want to do once than allow, you know, banks 10 through 30 in terms of size face the same problem. Do you think it could end up being a trickle-down effect where, like... So I bank at fifth third, which I think is like regional ish. I don't really know. Anyways, I I mean I don't really plan on moving my money, but like my thought is if a lot of people like me, if this say this does happen to like five, maybe ten more regional banks, and Max answers our question in however long and says fifth third is a regional bank. Yeah, Max is the other one. Is it Silvergate that also? I think Silvergate and Fifth Third. Are they in trouble? Sorry, my, we can, whatever. Uh, Fifth Third serves 11 states. So Ohio. that's regional. Another regional. Yeah. yeah. So my point being, it, could this cause a trickle-down effect where people are like, fuck it, I'm putting my money in huge banks like Chase. Exactly. So it, it and the other, that's the other thing the government's worried about is. is only having so many. It just further consolidates the banking sector. And then Gives you the got big banks more power. Less fucking competition. Less competition. Shit. So okay. maybe the government bails this one out and actually improves competition in the banking space. Damn, that is such a catch-22. Like, you're setting a bad precedent, but you're also like, we can't... I mean, Biden did come out and say, like, you shouldn't be losing trust in the banking system. Right. But, but you see, people it's, are. it's more complicated than you think, because the government does the thing you think you don't want them to do, but you realize it... If it doesn't do competition, it, more banks in the market, less consolidation. There's more underlying questions. Turns that, out it's complicated. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> People are always like, yeah, I know the answer. And then they get into it and they're like, fuck, this is really hard. Sorry, man. Yeah, it's like all, all, the, all the epidemiologists okay. from two years ago are now banking experts here on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and we've came full circle. <laughs> okay. That was good though. Honestly, like I don't care if, if people are uninterested in that. That's fine. Yeah, I, I'm so sorry to the listeners. I learned a lot there. I think that was the best way to understand it. You're really good at giving like tangible examples of like what these entities are trying to do. Or just dumbing shit down. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it on one of the podcasts you probably heard. I forget what it was when we were in um we in, Yeah. Uh for the triathlon. God, oh was man. You could come back on and just tell stories. Yeah, I don't know what it was, but we were sitting at dinner and you were blowing everybody's minds by just dumbing down something. What were we talking about? Just in that back porch of that Airbnb. When he did the the chip thing and I was like, I think Price might be a genius. (laughs) (laughs) We were also, let's preface this with, I was stoned <laughs> off of some Cali weed, but still. <laughs> See, I wasn't stoned and I was Yeah, that, that made me feel a lot better. I was like, Max is dead sober right now. This is normal. You're like, okay, okay, good, good, good. <laughs> I don't remember what that was. What the fuck were we talking, were we talking about? about? Something to do with just business. I don't, I mean, it was, it was probably very. It wasn't, the, it, yeah, it wasn't this. It was. It no, definitely business. not. Yeah. Anyways, that was, yeah. Okay, do you want to just do the unanswerable? <laughs> do you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Or anything that I sent to you that you were like, I really want to discuss that? Uh, no. I mean, like, generally the theme here is that um, we're facing inflation <laughs> coming out of, like, kind of COVID stimulus, both to individuals and to businesses. And the Fed is raising rates in response to inflation. And inflation is a tax on the poor, right? It's a regressive tax. Um, so we should all be cognizant of, you know, the effect this has on businesses versus Joe Schmo. Yeah, yeah. So when the Fed raises rates, it's like, you know, it's a regressive tax. It hurts poor people more than rich. 
Always. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah. If you were going to have a bad recession, what can no. the folks expect? Um, yeah, $30 eggs. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're already $30. Uh, no, I don't think we'll have a bad recession, but I think we'll face elevated inflation for longer than people think, maybe a couple of years. I was going to um, say, it's going to be at least the rest of this year. I think a lot of people I have... The rest of this year, oh my God. People are expecting through like 2025. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. We, we do two, a lot two of, three years, I mean. We do a lot of like tracking on like price increases across like food and beverage, uh, as well as like all like consumer goods. Yeah. Um, and I think we are expecting it to last through like 2025. We, we just hired a chief economist. I'm never going to be able to buy a house. This is a nightmare. But remember, I was also, like, interest rates are lower than they were for our parents when they bought houses in like 80, late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s. Really? Yeah. Then why could, all, why could all of our parents afford houses? Just because houses were cheaper? That's what they were used to. Houses were cheaper. Interest rates were higher. Imagine when interest rates go up, you'd think that puts downward pressure on house prices because it's harder for people to buy. Yeah. So over time, you should see house prices that's come kinda, down a little bit as a result of the more the increased difficulty of purchasing. Aren't a lot of people in real estate like just kind of, they've been saying like it's going to go down, it's going to go down, it just hasn't? Yeah. That's the one thing my dad keeps telling me, not to say that my dad really understands that much, but he always is like, I've kept saying like, I really just want to buy a house. Like maybe it'll go down eventually. He's like, son, I'm going to be honest with you. I've never seen a house, a home price actually drop. It may slow. People talk it, about it, but no one's it, ever seen it, it. It doesn't actually go down. It just slows in its growth. Is <laughs> it one of those things that's like kind of the stock market get in as early as possible because it, it's long-term it's going to go up. So might as well buy a house now. Long-term it's probably going to go up. Uh, I mean, like it obviously depends where you're buying a house and everything. Yeah. Um, you know, what you're buying. Um, but if you think inflation is going to stay high, it's better to own stuff than have dollars. That's a really good point. Oh my God, I have no assets. I don't even own a car. Well, this is why inflation <laughs> hurts poor people more than rich people. Because poor people have cash and rich people have assets. Yeah. What he's, and, what he's saying is you are poor. Oh yeah, no, I'm well, aware. Well, I'm talking generalities. I mean, it's a spectrum. Relatively <laughs> speaking, yes. You know. Compared to the aforementioned <laughs> Peter Thiel. I mean, look, if eggs used to be $3 and now they're 6 Whoever owns the egg company is getting three more dollars for the same stuff. And whoever has money and no eggs is paying three more dollars for the same stuff. That's the shit that's so scary is like, even I do this at work where I'm like, people will complain about like price increases and I just blame it on inflation. I'm like, but it doesn't actually, it, there's no reason that like I can say that. It's just, I use it as an excuse. Everyone's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yo, for sure. No, and people do. Oh, yeah. They're like, oh, okay, that's fine. Whatever. It's an extra like, 200 bucks. It's fine. I guess you have to talk to people about this, right? I mean, yeah, no, it's people, people don't give you pushback. Is it? Oh no. <laughs> yes. People give me pushback. <laughs> yeah. Let's slow the roll here on that one. Okay. That's like half my job is dealing with just like pissed off people. About. Is it like existing customers? You have to call them. Like, I, that's hey, what I, that's what up. I do is oh, like yeah. existing customers. Yeah. Anyways. One question I, we talked about it with Dylan on the last episode, but it was after we stopped recording. Is that the one that came out this morning? Yes. yes. Okay. I, I haven't Confusing. Again, yeah. sorry for the people you're in a time warp right now. Oh, sorry. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> it's okay. Um, do you have any ideas for the pod? You yes. Sorry. Listener, hopefully. Yeah, I've listened, I've listened to everything since I think the last two. Okay. Do you have like thoughts, feedback? Can be negative. Thoughts on like where we should take it, what, what we're doing well, what we're not doing well? 
No, I, I think you guys are killing it. I think you guys are doing so much better at this than I thought you would. I'm like, I actually listen. I, I enjoy the pod. Sweet. Um, what do you enjoy about it, though? What um, makes you keep like, coming back? Okay, I like, like, all right, you, you have people on and you have them talk about things that they're interested in, which is great. Um, listeners probably aren't interested in anything I've talked about, but I am. Oh, I bet you there's going to be so many that are because when we have Diesel on... Well, Diesel's a great example. Yeah. Diesel's like an encyclopedia of knowledge. Yes. Lauren, my girlfriend, listened, and she's like, it was actually super interesting. Was Diesel, like, reading off? Dude, stats? nothing. (laughs) Insane. (laughs) He's getting... I've been gassing him up so hard. He texted me the other day. He was like, I just listened to the last episode, and you said I was the best one. Oh, also, (laughs) also, actually, I owe Diesel... I love you, Diesel. I owe Diesel an apology. Diesel talked about how, you know, he really wants to go by Mark. And Diesel's this nickname oh, that's yeah. been going for a long time. He's accepted. And yeah. I have met Diesel in the last couple of years. So I'm one of like the I'm new, the same. I'm like same. one of the new friends. Like I'm guilty of this thing where I call him Diesel. But you have to understand like I – someone's like, ah, Diesel's here. I'm like, who's that? They're like, that's Diesel. I'm like, hi, I'm <laughs> – so everyone else in the room calls him Diesel yeah. and I'm supposed to be the one guy that calls him Mar- – it's a little eh, – Yeah. The problem is too once you see him. You're like, yeah, that's Diesel. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it adds it adds up. Anyways, so you said like you like that it's people that we talk about whatever they're interested in. Like, there's yeah, got to like be. I've learned I've learned things from almost every episode. Just cool. listening to people talk about what they're on about, and you guys are pretty well read, and you guys keep the conversation going well, and you like know enough. Yeah. To push I think people in the right Max direction. Max and I are just very like curious people, or at least I try to be. There's definitely stuff I'm trying to think of like specific combos we had on here where I'm just like, all right, on the next topic. Like, I don't know. I liked your, um, what was it training for a hundred miles or, uh, uh, yeah. Doggins. That was a different one. It was just you two. Yeah. 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 yeah you, you guys were like almost apologetic during that episode. And I was like, no, don't apologize. That was, was what Corey said. Corey said the same thing. Our buddy. Oh, that is that the, uh, yeah, you met Corey. Yeah. He did. Yeah. yeah. Yes. He did the try with us. Hi Corey. So Corey. <laughs> yeah. That's what he kind of said. He was like, you know. I get why you guys are like wanting to pull back on that because it is a it's an easy topic for people to like give you shit for and like self help motivational type leading yeah, in that because it's just so overdone. That it's not a topic that you like normally just sit around and have a conversation with your buddies about. Yeah, you're not right. going to a bar and talking about oh yeah, what are you training for? Yeah, I mean maybe some of our friends do because well, I guess we're we all do that. Bags, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we do do yeah. that. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I didn't. Yeah, I thought that was a great episode. I mean, I guess it would be if you did if every episode were like that. I guess maybe you should apologize more. But you, know, <laughs> you I think you can run one of those. No problem. Yes, I agree. Yeah. That's I think that's the kind of the point of the the basis that I've been trying to take on this. And I mean, I've straight up stolen this model from like Rogan. Is Rogan does episodes where he just has fun with friend fun with his buddies, and then he has episodes where he's sitting just talking to someone really interesting about one specific topic, and he's a really curious guy. Like, I will never be as, like, intelligent and, like, curious as Rogan is, but that, like, model... No. I mean, maybe, sure, whatever. But, like, the whole point is, like, that model... Rogan is the best podcast and probably one of the longest running, but no one really has done his model of, like, podcasting before, that I know of, at least. I think it's just because it's different every week, so it's a little bit more tiring. Yeah, and he, he's got a big brand now, so he can get interesting people on. For sure, and it's that really easy. adds variety. And I think it's like, as a small podcast, podcast, it's hard to bring. Yeah, versus get an academic on, like you know, dude. To be honest with you, though, like I mean, all of our friends, anyone that's like 
been interested in it is like, yeah, I'd love to come on. Sounds like fun. Oh, I'm honored. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is, this is fun. And it is, it's fun to hear like from our other friends. Cause yeah. like we go out and hang out, but it's, it's honestly rare that, you know, even someone that I hang out with all the time, I hear them talk about like one of their greatest passions for like 40 minutes. For sure. Without, you know, someone else coming into the conversation, getting sidetracked, you know, whatever. Usually you're like drunk too. So you're having a tough time. Like I even notice it on here sometimes where I like catch myself. I'm like, just pull back and let the person fucking talk. Like listen to them. Yeah. Versus when you're drunk, you're trying so hard to get a word in all the time. You're thinking about what you're going to say next. Yeah. Not listening to what they're saying. Exactly. Yeah. So it's by some of these, I, th- I like what you guys are doing. I mean, I think it's just great to hear people I know well talk longer than I've ever heard them talk about something like, like the shooter episode. He's talking about like closing line value and stuff oh. and, like, and like, you know, picking spreads and not teams. I'm like, that all makes a lot of sense. And I know he does that, but I'm yeah. learning. I'm learning right now. Like, That's even one of those things too, that like certain shit like that, like diesel shooter have really specific passions that I mean, I'll, I'll even like take some blame on that. Like I give shooter a lot of shit about how like into gambling he is, but listening to him talk like that, you're like, Oh, you care and like spend effort and time on this. Are you kidding? I listened to the shooter episode. He should be in charge of Silicon Valley Bank. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's the same business. It's the same game. <laughs> I mean, really shooter is. could go work on Wall Street. If shooter lived in New York, I mean, he, yeah, he actually. It's the same game. People that know Shooter, he is one of the biggest goobers you will ever meet in your life. Yeah, fucking wicked smart dude. <laughs> like, not, I'm done gassing you up. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's like you know. Yeah. It's the same game. You hear him talk about it. It's like, yep, that's money. It's just finance. It's just picking good bets. Like, it's like when you meet fucking, like, you hear these stories of, like, these crazy criminals that do these, like, outlandish things. And you're like, you are so smart. You could just do something legal and make millions of dollars. Like, yeah. I was at I was at a gala in D.C. at the National Archives with Sarah in the fall. And we met a Georgetown law professor uh, who was, like, an ex felon for like armed robbery or something and oh he's now my. a professor at georgetown law i don't know if, i don't know if you like find this it's like very easy to find but like uh and we were at this we were i was in a, a tux and we were at the national gallery it's just beautiful and he, he's telling us about like some of his escapades as like a former <sighs> convicted and now he's a professor at georgetown law school that's fucking crazy i mean but that's one of those things sometimes his name's shep shep something his uh Name is Sean S H O N Hopwood. Sean Hopwood. Yeah, teaches criminal law at Georgetown University. Yeah. Who knows better? Who knows criminal law better than that guy? And he's just one of these guys. It's like it's yeah. fucking crazy. Like all of a sudden, life puts you in a different track. You're like, oh, I can get some uh, professor now. Served twelve years, or he was sentenced to twelve years for armed bank robbery. Armed bank only robbery. Twelve years? You only get twelve years for that? I guess if you don't well, kill anybody, depends, you're probably yeah, fine. Maybe if you just wave the gun and. Yeah. Wow, that's fucking nuts. So he was telling he was telling the stories, and it was like, oh my god. He's like, yeah, now I'm a professor. <laughs> I think sometimes too, like people like that, they just love the juice of like mm. whether it's scamming people or like stealing anything. Like it gets them more riled up. Just than the like, adrenaline, just than the... sitting in a, at a desk like doing something legal. See, I think yeah. those people are super motivational. I think like Belfer, like take the wrong route early in life and then somehow turn it into something super positive yeah. and not let that one like wrong turn take them down like a terrible life for the rest of their life. I think that's so cool. Belford's a really good example of that. He's a little bit, I still think he's a douche, but his whole like 
philosophy is positive. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's proof positive. You can reinvent yourself whenever. Yeah. You know, just people can change. Yeah. Sort of. If people give up. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The majority give up. Definitely. Five percent that like reinvent themselves. Those are cool stories. You just yeah. have to stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's get into it. So, really quick, I've always said we'll read off folks' answers to last week's unanswerable, and Clint did text me. So, last week's unanswerable was what would be like the what would be your number one like sporting event you would want to attend. And we didn't talk about golf at all, but the Masters would be one. Clint, Clint said the Masters, and that's I was like, answer. that's a good one. I've I've only been Clint, to one. Come, come to Chicago. Yeah, dude. Seriously, Clint, you keep talking about how you're gonna come up. Come on, lock a lock a weekend down. Come Memorial Day. The Reds are here. Um, but that was a good one. So, really quick, doors or wheels? Just how many more? You you know this question, right? No. You don't know this question. This is this how is the how the unanswerable started. started. What is there more not... in the world? Is there more wheels in the world, or is there more doors in the world? You have to be quick, and wheels. we're not gonna discuss it. Wheels. Cool. You're right. Okay, this one I came up with <laughs> literally like half asleep. Oh, that wasn't it. That was just no, 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 everyone guessed that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one I came up with half asleep because I've had one of these things for quite some time. And then the other one was just like, I, I don't remember what I was doing. But anyways, would you rather have a stuffy nose the rest of your life or... Never use digital slash internet navigation again. You can only use a map. Oh, wow. Yeah, dude. This came to me, and I still don't know an answer. One question. Can you have somebody else map things for you? So if anyone's ever in the car with you, no one can map? You are not allowed to utilize technology maps. So if I get in an Uber, he needs to whip out a paper map. Yes. If that's, that's outrageous. A, <laughs> it is. Is the stuffy nose one where mucus actually comes out or it's literally just stuck and you, it just is the most annoying thing. You just have a stuffy nose. You cannot clear your nose ever. Like, you know that feeling of when you have a stuffy nose, it like clears and you're like, oh my God, I can breathe again. You never get that feeling ever. Wow. Again. This is a tough one. So, so if I get terrible. on an airplane, the co-pilot's like, <laughs> God damn it. Okay. <laughs> Planes. Planes can have the depth. planes. Are planes have the GPS. Honestly, yeah, I don't really know how planes work, anyways. <laughs> it's not paper maps. It's not. You're right. <laughs> wow, that's tough. I mean, I think. I mean, I'm taking the stuffy nose to be completely. I think I'd have to do stuffy nose. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I mean, it's terrible, but like your life is. You're just a mouth breather. You just have to admit that you're a mouth breather, and you're fucked, and you're a dweeb. You're a mouth breather because. People cannot operate anymore without the internet. I mean, I think in the city it would be okay. What do you just know? But outside of that, I mean, you don't know where you're going. And you said Ubers, they have to. Yeah. So, like, you kind of fuck over your friends as well. Pretty much. It's like anytime you're with a A single other person, the whole group is fucked. Yeah. I am also thinking of the fact, like, when Lauren and I want to go out to dinner, we don't have a restaurant that we want to go to. I go straight to Google Maps. Oh, yeah, all the time, every day. For ratings, for where it's at, how close it is, you can't if it's use... open, what type of food it is, holy shit. But you just can't. Oh, stuffy nose. Stuffy I nose. love maps. Yeah, I'm looking at maps all the time. Yep. Yeah. Stuffy nose. So we are all in agreement. I think we're all in agreement, stuffy nose, but. That would still suck. <laughs> it's going to be terrible. Just forever. 
I just imagine like people always talk about certain like athletes or like business people that who knows if this is actually reality or not, but people that like sell their souls to the devil. And it's like, if you could have X for the rest of your life, but you have to choose between a stuffy nose or never using a map again, that's you get what you want, but you have to, you have to give up one of these things. It's tough. That's also just like another unanswerable in and of itself. I don't even know what I would want, but like if you sold your soul. Yeah. Which is so worth not a stuffy nose the rest of my life. I'd rather just breathe and live my boring ass life. <laughs> so my soul should just continue this. Yeah. <laughs> well, so okay. Just uh <laughs> what did you look up? Advocate. Oh no. <laughs> uh, so obviously if you go stuffy nose, you become a mouth breather. Yeah. And I've always heard that there is some terrible long-term side effects if you are a mouth breather. From like the the basic like oral issues that you would have, like uh, crowded teeth somehow messes with your teeth. Your teeth move? I guess so. Cracked lips. That makes sense, actually. Cavities. Does gum it? disease. Uh, but the issues don't stop with the mouth. Mouth breathers are also more likely to experience digestive issues, chronic fatigue, morning headaches, sore throats. I think, though, a lot of that has more to do with it's correlated because they're usually bigger people that are mouth breathers that, like, snore. Have I accidentally I selected a life of, like, severe illness? I think we all have. <laughs> yeah, bad breath. Constant bad breath. You better yeah. get really good at directions, boys. Yeah. Keep some <laughs> on you. Wow. Yeah, bad I breath. Don't like, I don't real. like this quite. I don't know. This, I, this, I, this I, is, I, like, I, know. is I still tough. think I'm uh, stuffy nose. I probably stick. I think I, think I have to say it's stuffy nose. I mean, it's so fucking tough. That's a tough one. That's a really negative How one. How do you... I, you've been sick lately, so I get the stuff in How did you think about the second part? I don't remember, dude. I was like, I was just at Mackenzie's place and I like woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, I'm so fucking sick of like, my nose is just stuffy. And I was like, this could be, what would I rather not have, whatever. And I would, I would take a stuffy nose over this. And I was like, you know what would really suck? You guys see how much effort we put in this podcast? Ralph wakes up in the middle of the night. For they real, like, I questions. pulled my phone out and wrote this down. Like, He's like a poet, a writer. <laughs> I gotta capture it before it goes. Came to me, it's fleeting. <laughs> All right. Price, Cream, thanks for coming on. Max, thanks for producing. Pleasure, guys. Got anything to plug, by the way? No. Okay, cool. No. You have a law website yet? Yeah. A website? law website? Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have a website about law. <laughs> Maybe you'll have a law blog one day. Bob Law's law blog. Better call Saul. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys all next week. Peace. point i was like i looked at the timer and i was like i'm just gonna roll this one flash an hour i felt really bad i was like i didn't feel like it no nah. yeah no I only and also i was just talking about the economy i feel like i feel like the other ones have been like sports interesting fun like, let's yeah. see that's the reason why we want to talk different